0: It's been a while since our last show. In fact, it's been about 328, 29 days. I didn't look that one up, uh, but we're back and we're ready to roll. Uh, we really enjoyed uh, talking with Micah, uh, Sam Cap, and I about front end architecture. I think it's probably our longest interview we've ever done by the way. So I'm not sure if that's me being rusty or there was just a lot of ground to cover. Anyhow. It's our first show in a while, so we do have a couple of announcements. One, we're on Good Stuff FM Broadcast Network now. We're with Tim Smith, uh, Chris from Canada, and their friends, wonderful group of podcasts. Uh, Chris does uh, his Daily-ish, which is great. There's also East Wing, Transmission, uh, so definitely check them out. We're honored to have the Don Brackett Space show in the same mix with, with those guys. Uh, another bit of news is that we're doing the shows live now, uh, I'm excited about this since this is something Chris from Canada and I we've talked about talked about doing um, back in the day but we could never get our stars or the time or schedule to line up but now that uh, like I said we're in the future 328, 29 days in the future uh, we're producing and streaming the show live over YouTube so yes you can see us interview us uh, live um, I'm hoping uh, we can make it more interactive with the audience so check us out on YouTube uh, search for Non-Breaking Space Show on YouTube and subscribe and you'll get notified when we uh, do new shows, et cetera, et cetera. Also, I wanted to mention that I'll be hosting the Responsive Design Summit on March 10th through the 12th. It's a virtual conference, so you can see it from anywhere in the world, uh, from a desktop or mobile app. It's a three-day conference, so if for you can't make it all the sessions or whatnot, uh, just know that the recordings of each talk come with registrations, so you can review uh, each session at any time for as long as you want. So uh, please check it out at rwdsummit.com. Also, uh, we have a sponsor, Campaign Monitor. K- uh, Campaign Monitor uh, makes it easy for you to create, send, optimize your email marketing campaigns. Uh, you can design beautiful emails in minutes with their easy-to-use template builder. Send more relevant emails by displaying content catered to your individual subscribers. And best of all, your emails will look great on any device. It doesn't get any easier than this. Thanks to the Campaign Monitor for supporting Good Stuff and Breaking Space Show. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. It feels good to be back. All right. Well, welcome everyone to the Unbreaking Space Show. Uh, with me is Sam. Hey. Hi Sam, how's it going? Good, how are you? Good. I'm glad to have you here. And then uh, joining us today on Not Breaking Space is Micah Golpov. How's it going? Going thanks. great. Hey, thanks for being here today. Uh, yeah. So we've been away for a while. Mm-hmm. So, but uh, we we decided to dream it up all over again and uh, go through uh, YouTube as our uh, and do it live, pretty much. So yeah. So uh, so thanks for Micah for being being our first uh, guinea pig. <laughs> on a, a space show uh,
1: happy to be a guinea pig I, I know know all about the joys of, of live uh, uh, live podcasts and the
0: foibles that come with it right cool yeah. <laughs> well uh, first thing I want to do is uh, just ask you like we ask everyone this uh, how did you get involved with uh, with web technology where, where, how did you get started and and what was the path that led you here
1: definitely a very long path Um, i'll see if i can do the the short short version um actually i started with a degree in um, audio production um found myself in nashville and kind of got the bug and decided to stick around and and get a degree there um quickly to find out there really aren't many jobs in audio production uh, unless you want to go to new york or la and i really didn't have a huge desire to do either of those so i took some of that musical background and some of that computer background um, and actually found a job at a Mac store. Uh, it was, was a branded one, just a, you know, a local Mac store that happened to sell a lot of audio gear and that kind of stuff. And it was just an opportunity to get into computers. Um, from there, did some other stuff with computers, um, got a little more versed in that, find myself in a print shop uh, around 2005, got to get numbers on that, but mid 2000s. Um, and I was making copies, but my background in computers, my background in a little bit of graphic design, got me into being able to do that and work there at the print shop um, 2007 hit and um, economy you know tanks and the first thing people stop doing when the economy goes down they stop buying you know letterhead and stop buying out of the business cards like all those non-essentials which is usually ironic because <laughs> those are things advertising is like the thing that you need when, <laughs> when the business is starting to get down Um, but we found ourselves in a place where we needed a we needed a new revenue stream. We needed to figure out like what else can we do to make money in this crappy economy. Um, and we decided, well, we've got all these like <clears throat> um, all these construction workers and uh, lung care people and, like you know a lot of blue collar um, people that we did uh, work for. None of them have websites. And this is 2007 when everyone was starting to get a website. And um, we decided we'll jump in on that bandwagon. So. Uh, lo and behold, I was a guy that knew how to use computers. So, um, I was the one put kind of in charge, um, kind of helped, uh, spearhead that whole thing. Um, we actually started out with a, a small local, um, like ASP based CMS that was really just kind of a, a, bit of a mess. It was, it was like all table based and, and just old school, old school, um, and, um, we did that. We, we built probably maybe 30 sites on this thing. It's one of those where we're building lots of five page brochure sites. Um, but we got to a point where like making even the most minor change w- took forever and it cost our clients a ton of money and we didn't see much of it at all. So um, we, we felt confident or cocky or whatever you want to call it. And uh, we're like, well, why don't we just build their websites? And uh, did some research, found a small CMS that worked great for the kind of sites we're doing. And, uh, basically over a process of three months, this was kind of like my trial by fire, um, I took 30 websites in this other CMS and basically ported them over to a different CMS. So yanking out all the styles, basically recreating all these pages over and over and over and over again. Um, because you know, we didn't use their templates. We didn't use their, their markup or anything, cause it was pretty horrible. Um, so basically I had all of these like 30 really basic designs that I had to build as a website. Um, and, and that was that was really it. I mean, that was you do that for 30 of them, and and you're relatively competent. Um, I had taken a, um, a couple of small classes at, a, at the local college where I was at, um, just kind of to get some basics. But for the most part, just a lot of self-taught, a lot of ripping apart. Um, I think Web Designer Wall or something. It was a blog. I remember seeing it. I loved the layout, and I poured over that source code. This was back like when Firebug was like what? What's Firebug? poured over the source code trying to figure out how they stuck a like a sticky footer background at the bottom or something like that and (laughs) um, I just remember spending so much time just like trying to like ingest all that code Um, so um, anyway that led to um, getting married and moving down to the Portland area um, in which I was able to get like my first actual like industry job here at a local shop and kind of from there uh, went from uh, that to a couple other positions to uh, where I'm at now, and uh, really, it's been really, it's been like five years or something since I started this whole trek, and um, it's been a, it's been a whirlwind. I mean, as as I'm sure we'll talk about, I've I've, I've gone from making copies and a couple of websites to I'm um, I'm kind of wondering what I should do next because I'm just about at a point where I've done everything, <laughs> so um, that that kind of brings us up. Um, it just a ton of self learning, um, a lot of reading over blogs and, uh, and following Twitter and just, um, digging into everything I could and questioning everything I could and trying to, to build the best code I possibly could.
2: What were the two CMSs?
1: Um, well, oh, the two CMSs, God, I didn't even know if I had a name. It was, it was a small company back in the, uh, back in my hometown of Bellingham, um, that it was just like their brewed kind of thing. Um, mm-hmm. it, completely proprietary. So, you know, if we wanted, like, the smallest change to a template being made, you know, it's 150 bucks, you know, to, like, change one minor thing in the template. Um, they finally get, well, not finally, they showed us we had access to um, a field in, in the header where usually the, the Google anal- Analytics go. And they're like, well, you can you can throw a style tag up there and you can you can use CSS to modify the page. And that was mind blowing to me. I was like, I can make changes to the page. It's incredible. Um, So yeah, we we quickly realized that like, we're really, it was holding us back, not being able to to quickly make those edits at an affordable rate. So um, I did some real basic searching and I came across one called CMS Made Simple, um, which is is still flourishing. It's it's just a nice, small, um, really great for like, brochure sites, you know, 10, 15 pages. it has some basic content types but really just great for whipping up some templates it's it's pretty much all stored on the server and and in the um in the database so just real simple easy to get into it also introduced me to um it's php php based um but it introduced me to the smarty template templating language so that's my french introduction to like a for loop or an if loop and or you know and variables and those kind of things and Um, I, I amazed my boss when I was like, oh yeah, we just take this template and you modify it. It, like, I I found myself going out and finding, um, like a carousel or something, grab the mark of the carousel, drop it in and start throwing smarty loops at it. And I found myself realizing that I could take images inside the gallery of the CMS and actually spit them into a carousel or an image gallery of these other third-party jQuery plugins. Like just kind of reverse engineering and hacking lots of things. So it was, it was a lot of playing with the code, trying to figure out, like, how can I loop through these things and inject variables? And um, really was my yeah, a trial by fire of just learning the basic um, tenets of programming, which, um, of course, led really well into, you know, into more PHP and into SAS and those kind of kind of things. And it's amazing that the programming stuff led into SAS. But, yeah, it's it, it definitely helped me as I got into that and started dealing um, with all of the, the things that SAS can do.
0: So I want, I want to step just a little bit back before, like before the web stuff, but, uh, sure. uh when you do audio production, what does that mean? Like, and like, what were you doing with audio production and what tools were you using? I just sure. want to get an idea of like, of that background and, and how well versed you were in that. And, yeah. And it's, um, I mean, it's Nashville. So, I mean, everyone
1: went out there. It was, it was crazy. The amount of people coming to this program it was, a, it was quite a popular program, um, And, um, it was, it it was basically a bunch of rock stars showing up at college saying, I, I, I'm going to make it big, but just in case I don't, I'll get a degree in audio production. So I've got something to fall back on. It was like 95% of the, of the, uh, of the class. It was kind of fun. Um, but it was a full degree. It was like a full bachelor's. I got there bachelor's of science, arts, one of the two BS, I think. And, um, but it was, it was the whole gamut. It was everything you needed basically to get started in Nashville or New York or LA or something. So we talked about artist management. We talked about copyright law. Uh, we talked about just the music history in general. Um, and then, uh, for the technical course, it was getting in and using pro tools, um, using midi, um, you know, mixing techniques, surround mixing techniques, studio techniques, mics, and those kind of things. So, um, learning how to go into, um, uh, a live mixing environment, um, use large format consoles, Um, you know, use different microphones. Um, this is actually a microphone I bought back in those days to do recording and uh, it's, it's still around and it still works, which is exciting. Um, but I, I think kind of the interesting part that came out of that though was the, one of the first things that you learn, um, in audio production is troubleshooting because inevitably when you're trying to make something work, something's going to go wrong. And in audio production, um, Audio always starts at a microphone and it ends up in a recording medium. Um, and the process it takes to get from one to the other can be extremely complex, extremely convoluted, going through preamps and going through DI boxes and going through cables and to routing patch bays and into mixers and so on and so forth. Um, so, one of the first things you learn is how to troubleshoot when you have a problem. And um, it, it was always interesting. You really you have to understand the flow of audio from the microphone to the tape to be able to do that properly to know like well I'm getting lights here but I'm not getting lights over here so understanding that the space between those I can now troubleshoot that you know there might be a problem with these three things and you can go to those and, and, and figure that out um, and I think that was really one of the biggest keys that that I've taken with me from that education um into in web development because it's very much the same thing. Like I I, I don't like I don't like magic boxes in the web. I, I don't like something that, well, you just do fill out these variables and everything works for you. It's wonderful. So not a huge framework fan. Um, you know not I really want to I would rather build something on my own and I've done this, build something on my own and then realize, oh, I just built what that other person did. Okay. Well now that I've at least built it, I realized how good theirs is. That now I'll go ahead and use theirs. I basically did that with, with Pattern Lab recently where I, I found myself like, I, I don't really, I don't want to just jump into this magic box of Pattern Lab. So I was taking stuff and building something. And I finally got to a point after solving a bunch of problems where someone said to me, you know, you, you just built Pattern Lab, right? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I did. I did. <laughs> and, but now I can see the value of what that brings to the table and the problems that it solved and, and why it wow. solved the problems in the way that it did. So, Right. Um, yeah, there, there's a lot of value in, in, in that education and, and learning how to
0: troubleshoot and, and learning right. how to find where, where something broke. Right. I mean, it's really it, uh, with, uh, uh, you know, we, uh, we do, environments for humans, we do a lot of online uh, uh, conferences. And so the first year to two years, I was just like trying to figure out what, you know, I guess what the basics of audio production were. Uh, I had like no background in it whatsoever and just trying to get decent audio into an online uh, summit was just, was just an online conference was just this nightmare scenario. I was just, like, I was totally out of my depth trying to figure everything out. Well, stuff.
1: I am available for consulting and my rates are pretty. <laughs> <easy>. <laughs> so,
0: <laughs> we should talk. Yeah, definitely. We should talk. Definitely. Uh, I think it's light years better than when it was when we first started out. So uh but yeah, cool. So yeah, so like troubleshooting is, is a hallmark of, uh, uh, of of just our industry. And I always remember uh, Chris Coyer's uh, in control saying like uh, how we how we build things on the web, and it's uh, it's like four things, and they're uh, Google, 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 Google is when we try to figure out what like how to build things. Is we always trying to figure out, go out and search things, and then we also like because like no one knows everything, and just you know, trying to figure out how we how we build it, but. But I definitely, like, I feel your, I, I love how you had to, had to build, like, the 30 websites and pour them back into the CMS. That just, that's had some awesome uh, learning experience. Yeah, so. it's that, that
1: whole muscle thing of,
0: of right. just going through those repetitive motions of,
1: okay, here's the layout, here's my images, here's the styles. How do I quickly get that over into, basically, mm-hmm. I basically had a bunch of designs I just got to build over and over again. for clients that had needs and, and demands and whatnot, and it was... Um, yeah, it was, it was exactly what I needed to get started on that. Yeah. Uh, but as far as the Googling, I a hundred percent agree. Um, my, my fun story is that I, 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 you know, I, I talked to my wife about the things that, um, the things I do in work and, and, uh, problems I come across or something like that. And, um, she's still, I don't know if she hundred percent believes yet that half my job is Googling things and, and doing <laughs> the right things to Google. Um, You know, whenever I dive into something that I don't know, it's just like, well, you don't know anything about that. I'm like, I I know how to Google it. I know how to find it. I know how to, I know how to finally figure it out. And, and that's really, really what it comes down to. Like, you know, if you ask me to dive into SVGs right now, I haven't done a lot, but I can Google it. I can find it. I can find examples and break them apart and recreate it. And, you know, if, if my job came to me and asked me to do much with SVGs, like, okay, sure. No problem. I mean, it's, it's out there and I can figure it out.
2: I feel like the, the self taught is such a like rite of passage with with any of this stuff, whether it's um, some audio production stuff or SAS or pattern labs, but like even with my class this week they've been going through a lot of SAS stuff and it's like sure I could give them foundation or a pre existing grid system, but once they've built one on their own and they've actually used variables and makes sense, they're like, Oh, that's how that was put together and I can do this on my own. And now they don't even want to look at the other ones, yeah. but the the self-taught part is like a badge of honor that yeah. I think that I like having.
0: Yeah. yeah I mean, so it's, it's a good comparison. Cause like, you know, I like it's, it's the, I, you know, as a kid, like, you like, always hated homework, but then you realize that it's the uh, repetition and mm-hmm. doing it over and over again. That's when you really, it sinks in a lot. So I feel like, uh, yeah. No, just, just yeah, you like because do do you do a lot of like with your students, Sam? Do you have to do a lot of like homework with your students, or is it a lot of in? Do you think that's where the magic happens with the students, or is it a lot of the in class stuff that's where like students really grok it?
2: Most. Um, I think it's really more by doing because they need to like go through. I'm, I have SAS is on my head this week a lot because we're in week four and they're doing a lot of SAS right now and building their own grid systems and they love mixins and variables but it's one thing to just say like oh this is what a mixin does or this is what a variable does but when you see their mind click and they're saying like one of them asked me like can you put a mixin in a mixin i was like wait let me think about that because i actually haven't tried that or thought about this and then they get it to work and then they're like oh my gosh like this is this is too much power <laughs> <laughs>
0: no one but then person they find an awesome power. way to use it <laughs>
2: yeah yeah, yeah.
0: Well, I and mean, then um, that's a good way to to introduce like that. You you do the SaaS Bytes podcast, right? That is correct. So how did that come about? Uh, what you know, uh, can describe what it
1: is and... Sure, um, SaaS Bytes is a your weekly bite of SaaS during your lunch break, uh, <laughs> every Thursday, twelve p.m. Pacific, um, or around there, depending on the week. Um the way it started, it's 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 been great because it's um I'm 69 episodes in, so it's it's been going for a while and I've only missed a few. So um I've been at it a good year and a half. And uh the way it started was um um I I used to work with from home. I, I worked for a company called Lullabot. Uh they're hundred uh, percent distributed. Um so you know, everyone just worked from their house and that's what we did. Um and I was I was finding new things over and over again and I was incredibly excited about some of these new things I was finding, these new technologies and just new techniques that are out there. Uh, One of the earliest ones was, um, uh, was like custom uh, icon fonts and the fact you could build your own custom icon font on your local machine. And I was just like blown away. I'm like, drop an SVG in, run a command, you got a new icon font. It was uh, just ridiculous. So, um, I had some local friends here in, um, uh, in Portland who are actually now coworkers. Um, but back then they're just friends who was working in in Portland. I'm like, Hey, I've got this cool stuff. I got to show it to you. And I did that a couple of times with them. And he's like, dude, dude, this stuff is awesome. Next time we do this, let's, let's bring in the whole crew. he he worked with like four or five guys over in the office. So I basically just like ended up once a week doing it. Hey guys, checked out this cool little like random, um, uh, new SAS thing I found, or, you know, a new font compiler or, or whatever the case was. And we just do it as a Google Hangout. A couple of them would join um, and, you know, just give a little presentation and, and be done with it. Um, and we did that a couple of times. And I'm like, you know, I should really just be recording these because someone, like it, actually it came up that someone wasn't able to make it one week and and they're like, hey, can you record it? I'm like, yeah, actually, that makes sense. Well, I'll, I should record this. That makes sense. So you can watch it later and maybe other people can watch it later. Um, and started doing that for a while. And um I remember specifically it was it was a Thursday night after a front end meetup down in Portland where we all went out for wings at one of the best wings places in in, uh, in Portland. And um, we we're sitting there drinking our beers, eating our wings. And I'm like, okay, what what is happening here? What I, There's some momentum here and I don't know exactly what to do with it. So I was asking some friends about it because um, I just started up PDXS a little while ago. Um, so that was just a couple months previously. So I didn't know if, if this video thing should be just an extension of PDX SAS. should it just be, you know, PDX SAS online, should it be, you know, what, I really didn't know what to make of it. Um, and one person came back with really good advice of like, no, I, th- I think you should just brand it separately, you know, have it as its own thing and promote it as its own thing and just, and just run with it. Um, and um, um, <laughs> and. Uh, Actually, just a step back a little bit. Another friend of mine had started something kind of similar recently called Dev Lunch, um, or that's what the, what she was calling it. And it was like a, hey, let's get together and talk about Bash scripts or something like that. Um, and I was like, okay, Dev Lunch. That's kind of neat because it's she did during lunch, and it was just a small little little piece of of code hangout kind of thing. I was like, that lunch thing is kind of nice. I could call it SaaS Lunch, and I was like, no, or ooh, or SaaS Bytes. Oh, I like that. So. It all came together. I had a name, had a concept, had a platform, um, and um, you know. And starting out, I, I didn't 100% know exactly what I was going to do, but I wanted to start sharing what SaaS could do, and and started out with the basic essentials of you know what are mixins, what are extends, and those types of things. Um, I just started kind of contacting and and, and um, kind of create a network of or being connected with a network within SaaS. So. Um, some uh some friends up in seattle some friends locally here i actually started doing kind of more of a guest show where people would come on and start presenting um but eventually it's tough to keep finding more people to present because it takes preparation so um i just got to the point where i was like all right i'm okay with this this is just going to be me stepping up and just presenting something each week um and it just it did it just kind of went from there so if you go back to some of the, the earliest episodes you'll see just all sorts of craziness of like you know people joining the hangout because it was just like you know everyone just joined the hangout instead of just watching it um, and then random guests and and just uh, just just kind of stuff like that and then um, from there um, hope I didn't lose Chris we just went dark oh oh it brings up the, the page hey nice okay um, so from there um, realized like I've got this platform I'm starting to get followers um, on Twitter. Um, Uh, Smashing Nag, I think, tweeted out about it. And I kind of like freaked out because I was actually starting to get followers on the page. And then, um, yeah, it just kind of went from there. Um, Started to do some interviews. Um, I think um, uh, Hampton, uh, Hampton Catlin, the uh, the, creator of SaaS was my first like pure interviews. Um, It was just, it was kind of exciting. Started to get some of the people on there. Um, Did did a series about uh, like leading up to SaaS Conf and talking to all of the speakers for that. Um, and then just recently, um, got in a series specifically about front and architecture, which I'm sure we'll, we'll touch on, uh, later. Um, but it was just, I, I realized I finally had this platform. I had this, this, this voice that, that I could get out there to start sharing. And it's been, it's been an awesome, ride. Uh, I, the feedback from it, the opportunities that have come from it. Um, and, um, and it's so, it's so simple. It's like yeah. 20 minutes a week. I fire up YouTube, I talk, and then I stop yeah. and I'm done. Yeah. And I, I, is, I, I'm, is,
0: I'm just, is that why the
1: reasons, <laughs> it, like, like, why did you go
0: with YouTube as your platform?
1: Just, um, well, it started with hangouts. It started with the fact that, you know, we'd already been using hangouts, uh, pretty extensively. Um, heck when I got hired on at little like my, my interview was actually as was a hangout. So we'd been kind of like embroiled in hangouts for a long time. Um, and then when hangouts on air came out, it was like this, this easy evolution of like, okay, I can just have a hangout. I click a button and I'm broadcasting and recording, um, all to like to the actual branded channel. So that, that was kind of like the awesome point. Um, and it took me a little bit to get there, but realizing that, you know, I, I had a SAS Bytes account. I had a SaaS bites, you know, Google plus page, whatever. And I could spin up a hangout, I could record and I automatically have a video that got pushed out to my channel and, you know, got pushed out to all the followers and and all those kind of things. So, um, yeah and 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 not to mention just when it started, it was a very visual medium because obviously I'm showing code all the time, and the way we showed mm-hmm. code was let's hey, let's hop and hang out and share screens and and show the code so um and yeah, and I was just I'm lazy. I, I really don't want to like record and then edit because once you're right. in the point of editing, like oh, I could have edited a little bit more. I yeah. could have made that a little better. I could have right. taken out the ums, I could have done this and that and the other and, and um, just going straight to tape is like. It's in the can. It's done. There's nothing right, you can do right. about it. So, um, Exactly. No, actually, I, I admit, I, I recanted on one episode. I, I had an episode I did on Thursday, and and uh, technical failures, just just <laughs> the whole thing bombed. And I'm like, the next day, I'm like, okay, delete. Let yeah. me do this again, because this is a great topic, and I want to do it right. So I, I got it right the next time, <laughs> So <laughs> that,
0: was the, that was the only time it was so bad I had to redo it. All right. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, I don't know, it's just uh, one of the things we've always done here at non-breaking space, just tape live, except, uh, I think a couple of times we, we've gone back to edit, but, uh, uh, I think someone dropped the F-bomb or something like that, but, uh, uh, but Sorry. not that, no, yes, Sam. <laughs> I didn't want to call you out, Sam, but, uh, when, when we do, we're not pressing record, Sam is just a sailor, just one of the guys, so, uh, but, uh, so,
1: cool, yeah, yeah. so, uh,
0: and that's one of the things I, I liked about uh, the Hangout just past year. I've just been, uh, just uh, I guess enamored. I don't know if that's the right word for it, but just with uh, Hangouts, I guess YouTube more so than Hangouts, because uh, I've I've actually stayed away from Hangouts. Uh, just the whole no, it's tough to get you in a Hangout. It's like yeah, okay, <laughs> FaceTime. No uh... FaceTime, Skype. I'll do anything but uh, the Google Hangout. Yes, yeah. It just I feel like. Uh, uh, I feel like Google already owns calendar spacing, like space calendars. Uh, so it's it's kind of weird. Like if you don't have yourself tied to a Google calendar, then it's really hard to interact with people. I know it's like some businesses in um, Austin, like what I had talked to, talk to you, they like their their entire life is on Google calendar, and um, my life is not. And so if I set up a morning appointment with them, it's like I gotta go dig up my calendar for Google, and there's this like. Like, oh, know, I just got to drink the Kool Aid and two yeah. feet in. That's, that's all I got. To say. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, so <laughs> give Google all the power, and I was like, oh, please, thank you. But uh, but yeah, but YouTube, I felt like it's like, oh, wow, that's you know, they got me with Hangouts. I think that's like the YouTube. I think it's, like, it's cool. yeah, cool so. I was
2: going. I was going back on some of the the tweets uh, that you have, and I saw a screenshot that you done. I think Elise is in it, and some other people, and it was like. Episode 42 to 46, I think, and it's like everyone's hands are up and everyone's just excitedly talking about sass things. I think that adds a lot of value and emphasis to things. And it wasn't even
1: intentional, it was was seriously like, you know, YouTube will just grab random stills and you could pick from them. Mm -hmm. I don't even think I picked those, it was like I just went back to it and looked. I'm like, everyone's like this, and it's so. If I do this for most of the episode, you'll probably get this as a still. Just kidding, yeah.
2: We should do that. <laughs>
0: yeah, we should do that. So like, right now, everyone's like, oh. <laughs> there, you there you go. Cool. Yeah, so, uh, but yeah, I also think, uh, I think what was it uh, uh, was at uh, Google Hangouts is the, uh, what was it Poor Man's Podcasting, because uh, you subscribe to Sassbytes, which I think people who are you know, interested in the show, like non-market space or, or listening, should just you know, subscribe to it. like. Uh, with uh, every week when there's a new show, you'll get an email straight from Google that says, like, hey, here's, uh, Micah has a new show, and, you know, you've been busy the whole week. Bam, here it is. And you, Micah, have, like, you know, you're being lazy, but you're being a programmer, and you're just like, hey, let google do it's, the work it's for it. automated
1: i mean that's yeah, that's yeah. i have a workflow and it's a very automated workflow and i'm yeah. totally okay with that I, right. I do wish that the one thing that's missing and if if google's out there listening which i'm sure they are i mean right okay absolutely um, absolutely is all i want is the ability to turn on let people download or like cache or download mm-hmm. a copy of or whatever uh of of the episode like I'm not trying to make money off of it. Like, if you want to put ads, right. stitials, whatever, I don't care. But, like, the biggest, uh, the biggest shortcoming of, of YouTube is that they just don't have offline viewing. Now they have offline right. viewing for, I think, for some of their paid stuff, um, or I, I know there's some yeah. recently. But yeah, you can't just do offline viewing of a random episode. Um, and that would be amazing. I mean, that that would basically turn YouTube into the ultimate podcasting app. Because right now you have to create an RSS feed, and then right. you, you know you got to host the file somewhere and get. I, right. I don't even. I don't even know. So yeah. um, that would be a coup if if they could pull that off. Um, uh, right. You know, a lot of people you know want to watch it on their way to work or something, but they don't want to suck up a bunch of data. Right. And there's just nothing they can do. So.
0: Yeah. Right. Uh, well. Yeah. I, I don't. Know. It's like. Um, I don't know. I don't think uh, Google YouTube is trying to be the ultimate podcasting. I think it might podcast. be. <laughs> i don't think that's really bigger I, this is dream bigger man everyone is doing their own serial podcast that's what's going to happen
2: forget the self-driving car just focus <laughs> on live podcasting in video format okay
0: cool oh man cool. <laughs> uh so let's just um let's just say i have a really nice segue for the next part which i which i don't but uh uh <laughs> front end architecture because uh at at CSS DevConf in uh, New Orleans uh, this year, you've, you've, uh, Orleans. your talk was New Orleans. Uh, New Orleans. <laughs> New Orleans. <laughs> uh, was uh, Raising a Banner for Front-End Architecture, was that the title? Uh, that's, that's about right. That's about right, yeah. I, I got some of the words in there, uh, most of them. <laughs> uh, yeah, could you explain what uh, what, you mean, what you mean by that and, and, and what that means? Uh, sure, I've got a 45-minute talk. you ready to start? Just kidding. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> well, um
1: it's uh, it's it's two part. Um raising a banner is basically the notion that, um, and I, t- I this was kind of part of the talk, is that you know we started we started this whole web thing as this real simple, like, you know, I'm a webmaster and I edit HTML and I edit the CSS and maybe a JavaScript file um and then the web grew and the web grew and the web grew and and we started getting more of these disciplines we get back-end developers and front-end developers and we got ops people we've got front end we have front-end ops people we've got content strategists we've got it just it just keeps growing the the number of people the number of specialties um, that are, are created creating in the space, and and it's it's not you know I just read an article today about specialization versus generalization, and you know it's it's not specializing just to have a cool title. It's oftentimes it's it's specializing so that that you can find other people that specialize in the stuff too, so that you can start creating a community. One of my big examples was was content strategy. Of you know, there's all these people out there doing content strategy, um, but they didn't really know that they, were, they weren't alone. They, they didn't realize there were other people doing it as well because um, they didn't really have this rallying banner. And that's the whole point of raising a banner. So um, I, I found myself over the last couple of years um, spending spending more time um, thinking about how I was going to build something than actually, yeah, it was, it was, a, list of, it was a list of part article. Um, that's right. And um, I spent more time thinking about how I was going to build something than actually going and building it. And, and, and the value I was bringing to a project during that thinking was really amazing. Like the, if I, if I get in a project where I get a chance really to think about the project before building it, the outcome was always so much better. And I'm like, wow, this is really amazing. And, and, and realizing that, that I'm not the only person that actually does this. There's, there's other people that spend more time thinking than doing and more time planning than actually executing, um, and uh, basically come to the conclusion that I'm, I'm architecting the front end solution for this project. You know, I might be going then and actually building it out, which is always good to kind of eat your own dog food in those cases, but, um, you know, I was putting these plans together of how this thing was gonna be built. Um, so realizing that there's there, there's a name for this that at least I wanted to coin, um, that there's other people doing this as well, that, you know, I wonder who else is out there that doesn't understand the value of this, that doesn't understand that this is a thing that you're not alone, um, and that or doesn't understand the complexity of this space. Um, so yeah, that's why I came up and and basically, it, it was a, it was a twofold. It was a rallying cry for all the architects to say like, you know, s- stop being, uh, stop letting people walk over you when you want to have a plan for the site. Like stand up, raise up that banner, and say like. I have a plan of of how this site can be successful and and we need to talk about it now while we're planning the whole site, not after the entire CMS has been built and you just want to slap a theme on it, which is really where a lot of have been for a long time. Um, so it was a rallying cry for them. I was basically like, take up your arms, let's go fight kind of thing. (laughs) Um, But it was, it was also on the other side of let's talk to let's talk to those decision makers. Let's talk to those, um, uh, to the project planners. Let's talk to the people, the salespeople are going out there and selling. Um, right. Let's make sure that they understand that this is an important part of the process, that, uh, that a, a successful project is going to have a sound front-end architecture. Uh, and if you can go in and you can sell that to the client, get the client to realize, hey, if I spend some money and bring some front-end developers in here early, right. I'm going to save myself headaches in the, in, in the future and save myself money in the future. And mm-hmm that's a big paradigm shift that's it's a big change to bring uh basically bring the developer in as soon as you bring a designer or a back-end developer in um and was was basically trying to yeah create a case for that as well um just to to give front-end architecture the respect the time and the attention that it
0: deserved and and that it needed so you know like you you bring up content strategy a little bit and so content strategy, like you know we've had um uh We've seen on the show before, and we we talked about, you know, that, that was a couple years ago now. But uh, but back then, you know, it was still kind of growing. But it's you know, it's I think it's solidified now as as a discipline even more so than it was before. Um, and to me, like um, my I guess really simple way of thinking about content strategy was that it's uh, copywriters who know what they're doing, um, being at the forefront uh, and saying that you know content is very important. And so while you're building a website, we need to know what content we have, make sure we, you know, do the content analysis and uh, make sure we market and write and do everything upfront before we put it into silos and before we launch it off into like uh, responsive emails, you new know, templates before we put it into responsive uh, websites. If like that's so like you know we have to deal with, uh, with Kermit what Karen you know. Talks about chunking of content and so with like that, so that's, mm-hmm. you know, it's we're actually, instead of where content has always been uh, a pain point for design ever since like it started out, and that's still been a pain point for print design uh, before the web came about. It was like we said, like okay, this is we, we know this is a problem. It doesn't get any better uh, the further out from the start of the project. So uh, it's got to just now, like at the, at the front end of the project. So you know, it's so it sounds like a similar path with front end architecture, right? Yeah, and
1: that's exactly it. Is that you know these aren't decisions that we can make at the end of a project, um, mm-hmm. because at that point everything's already done. I mean, there's right. there's way too many decisions that have been made, and set in stone, and that to to change them, sure, you, sure you could change it. So you could you could re-architect, re-front end architect a project in the middle of the project, but the cost of doing that, they're mm-hmm. never going to allow. They're never going to say, all right, devs, we got to wait six weeks because we have like mountains of, of technical debt to work through before we can actually start building again. Like, no, they're, they're, they're not going to give you the chance to do that. At that point, it's like, just make it look pretty and let's move on is right. really where we end up. So, um, if, if an architect can get in, in the beginning, if we can talk about like, well, what are the goals? Like, is this right. a multi-site? Is it a single site? You know, or do we have other, um, other assets or other, um, uh, other properties that need to inherit some of these tiles as well. Like, you know, how are we going to be controlling theme? Are we changing theme? I mean, um, how do you want to reuse pieces, modularities, layouts, those kind of, there's there's lots of these decisions that need to be made up front. All the, the tooling process, deployment process, um, um, uh, automation, um, testing, visual regression testing, um, documentation, all these things that need to happen really early in the project that you can't just bolt on later. Um, sure. And, and the thing is, it doesn't take a ton of time to figure those things out, but they just need to be done at the proper time. So as you're building, you can actually devote time and resources to those. And the response, I think, was, was quite telling. I mean, I, I don't know if you caught much of this, but uh, after, the, after the talk, I had several people come up and say, I, I, I'm, I'm doing that. I'm, I'm an architect. <laughs> <laughs> realize it. Um, it, it. Which is, I just, I wasn't expecting the response, and I don't know why, but yeah. And the response is exactly what i should have been expecting from it is like yeah. that message resonated i realized right. what i'm doing is i'm being an architect and i need to make sure that that right. i can get in the projects early enough to to make the proper impact so it was really exciting and um at holiday um who's is co-hosting this uh the series with me is one of those people that like just a light went off that that's what i do like this yeah. is my passion this is what excites me and i didn't realize it had a name I didn't realize that other people were doing it as well. And, right. and that's that's what I'm trying to do. Um, you know, it doesn't need to be a title. You don't need to have a fancy desk. You don't need to have it on your business card. But but just to realize- but it that, helps. Yeah. It, it helps, yeah, I, I don't <laughs> mind that. I mean, you can put it on my license plate my new Porsche if you really want to, but- um... <laughs> Uh, but just to recognize that that is something that's important. It's a role that people play, and and not that they have to only do architecture. I mean, most of us do architecture, but also then build the things that we've architected. Um, but but just to recognize it and and to yes to have that recognition that this is important and it needs uh, it needs attention.
2: So I'm really curious about this. Yeah. Um, sorry, Chris, to cut you off a little bit. Um, for people who had come up to you after or that light book. Going off for Elise, what are some of the, the resources now that there is a little bit of a community growing with this? What are they kind of doing together to help push this forward?
1: Um, I put together um, I put together a repo on GitHub. It was kind of just pulling together my thoughts on um, uh, on frontend architecture. If you go to just my uh, Twitter handle on on, on uh, GitHub, so GitHub slash Micah Godbolt. There's a, um, a front-end architecture uh, repo there that just has some, like, basic outlines, some basic tenants. We're kind of collecting some of the thoughts uh, that are coalescing around that. Um, obviously, we've been doing um, <laughs> the series on front-end architecture on SAS Bytes, so you should definitely be listening to Sassbytes to get that as well. Um, but as far as... Um, uh, materials? What was the exact question again?
2: Well, yeah, it was more like things like the repo, like now that people are like, I think I'm this, like what do I do now? Like I was yep. curious about are people now getting together in conversations or are they listening to the current series you have on Sassbytes? Um, are people documenting the challenges that they're facing now that they're kind of in this like, I think I'm this new thing. But there's also pro- like trying to get it, get in there early on and be a part of the whole process. Like are there other challenges that come up that the community has talked about and I'm just really curious about it because this is also kind of newer to me.
1: Mm -hmm. Um, In some ways there's not as much as I'd like and there's some ways there's more than I'd ever expect. So I guess that's maybe a good thing. It kind of balances in the center. (laughs) Um, I'd love to see more articles. I'd love to see more people like talking about it and especially just pushing the the, the title out there. Um, You know I, I don't like I don't care if I coined the title or someone else did. It needs a title like content strategist and content strategy is or, or, or responsive web design is another example I use. They're awesome names. They're a name you can kind of gravitate around. So getting that out there. Um, I, actually, um, uh, Mina Markham, um, who um, has um, been done a lot of stuff with with E for H, and actually looking mm-hmm. at write a tweet from her on on, uh, on my feed, um, she posted something about like she she kept on getting added to. Um, uh, frontend architecture uh, lists on Twitter and she says thanks Micah kind of thing so, <laughs> so it's happening people are talking about it um, I actually got contacted randomly from someone interested in doing a front-end architecture <laughs> conference mm-hmm. that's where I was like okay now this is getting serious <laughs> right. but, uh, so it, it is happening um, there's a lot of conversation uh, it's been really neat having some of the uh, some of these guests on um, a, a lot of these guests um, kind of to, to backtrack just a hair um, the, the, the four tenets that at least I have, have come up with for, for, um, for an architecture at the moment um, is basically it's code, documentation, testing and process. Um, code being pretty nebulous, just kind of like coding approaches um, documentation is is how how do you document the systems? How do you how do you pass on that legacy to the next person? How do you make sure that someone new coming in is going to be able to get to speed quickly? Um, testing everything for visual regression testing, end end testing, uh, unit testing, uh, and then process, which is a lot of like you know what's your Git flow process? What's your you know, automation? What's your deployment process? What's your continuous integration process? Those kind of things. So um, I really feel confident those those four pillars have, have really have been around since since I gave the talk and they have not changed yet. So I feel good that those are kind of like the big four areas that front end architecture um, uh, is about. I mean, no one's been able to properly challenge me and say, Hey, what about this? And we go, all right, five. Um, So four has worked really well. Um, And a a lot of the people I've been able to bring in to speak um, fall really strongly in one of those four. Mm-hmm. which has been kind of neat because like they're, they're really, really big on documentation and style guides or they're really big on like really cool coding standards and whatnot or really big on testing. Um, and to talk to them kind of about the whole thing as, you know, as, as a whole entity, it's kind of neat. It opens up some of the things they haven't thought about or haven't talked about. And um, uh, it's just been a great opportunity to kind of, even, even with the people that I really respect of like, hey, let's talk about this whole thing as a package because you, you're doing awesome contributions to this part of it you know, what do you do, you know, what, what do you do with documentation? What do you do with your coding standards and, and bringing up those conversations with them as well. So, um, it's just, it's been, it's been a lot of fun to kind of see this thing grow up. Um, and it's only been five months or so. Um, so I, I don't want to stop, you know, I want to keep it going. Um, I think there's a lot of conversations, um, that still have to be done about visual regression testing is still crazy hot Um, documentation. Gosh, um, there's documentation podcasts showing up. There's there's um, style guides. Uh, mm-hmm. I believe is a website that's just all about style guides. So, so all of the tenants in here, and obviously automation is huge and always will be. Um, uh, there there's a lot happening around all of them, um, and part of it is you know frontend architecture doesn't own any of those by by mm-hmm. any means. Um, it, just like responsive web design that that came, um, it basically packaged together a bunch of stuff that was already happening. Um, right. I really I, I'm not I'm not trying to say this is something new I'm trying to say this is this is a this is a focus this is something that that people can kind of get under it and and start developing um, at pulling all these different these different areas together so um, there's lots of stuff going on yeah. in each four of those pillars and right. it's kind of fun to start pulling them together and having those conversations with people that are involved in those pillars um, to say like
0: you know how does this affect your, your whole architecture right. Yeah. Well, I do want to like uh, just take a step back, just because I feel like we kind of like flew by what those pillars were. <laughs> uh, so I just want to like uh, take them one by one and just talk about them and how they how they work, you know. And some of them are, uh, you know, from my under- background, kind of easier to understand the others. But uh, you know, the one of the first pillars of the four that it's you code. have is code, right? Yes, and, and I, so I that, that includes like, the markup. That includes you know CSS, SASS. So mm-hmm. you, you have your like. Like you know, which is and then you have um, JavaScript is, is in there too. You have JavaScript frameworks and organization, and also the object-oriented approach. So so basically you have like uh, the building blocks for a web page, right? So you have like the nouns, the verbs, the adjectives for your web page is is just the code, right?
1: Exactly. I mean, it's really everything else is about the process around the code. Mm -hmm. um the code portion of it and and i one thing to clarify i've tried to keep these these pillars like very short names uh, and not like this long descriptive thing um when i talk about code (coughs) it's not the actual code itself Mm -hmm. Um, it's it's more of like as as an architect trying to build a building um when you talk about materials you're not talking about every single like piece of wood or every single like you know chunk of concrete or every single piece of rebar. You're talking about like, well, which rebar are you using and what kind of concrete are you using? And like, what's your approach to doing this, that, and the other. And I'm sure some architect is just going, whatever, but, um, (laughs) you know, so it's, it's not about, it's not the finished result of the code. Um, but it's really about what's your approach. Like, are you doing straight OO or are you doing something that's more like individual class based? Um, I had Ben frame on, uh, just yesterday and he takes, he takes a very like, like antithesis of OOCSS with his approach. Um so? and that's um single class for everything. Mm-hmm. Um repetition isn't bad because yeah. repetition means that every component is is very quarantined mm-hmm. and that you can delete components with impunity knowing that you're not going to disrupt the rest of the system. Okay. Personally I i love a lot of the stuff that he does um and it's one of the reasons I had him on to talk about that. Um, but i mean the point is depending on your project depending on what you're trying to build you're going to have to choose something yeah. um you know there's oh or, or sorry um front end architecture is not here to say that oscss is bad and you should do this right it's just to say like you need to have a naming convention you need to have an approach you need to understand what are you doing with javascript so that you don't just have this huge js file that just is jquery point at a selector and, change some other selector, you know, okay. they just spaghetti code. So, yeah. you know, what's what's your HTML approach? Like, what are you doing uh, with HTML5? What, you know, how are you doing with articles and and, and sections and all that? What's your, um, uh, what's the role of, of ARIA? Like, how far are you going with that? Um, so just what is your code approach? Not, not the finished code, but really right. just making sure that there's some kind of, um, there's some standards. Uh, cause right. really what it comes down to is you need something to fall back on. Hopefully it's right. documented. That's the next right. one we're going to but you need right. something to fall back on when a, when a merge request comes in so that All you right. can say like, you know, we're, we're not doing it that way, uh, right. cause that's not going to fit with, with this paradigm or this approach, like right. let's go and refactor that. Let's do that differently. Um, and I, and I just had something recently like that, I had a merge request come in and go like, you know, that works and for right. anyone looking at it, it solves the problem but it doesn't solve the problem in a way that contributes to the, to the architecture of the rest of the site. Um, and one of the, um, one of the things I, I kind of, um, kind of trying to pound in when I was talking about, um, uh, say like, um, people in charge of, of like the scrum and part of the pro- like charge of like planning your, your build process is like make sure that everything that we're doing every story that comes in, is contributing to the architecture of the site, and it's not just one more thing added in, one more thing added in, but like you know, we need to build something. Yes, that's true, but what's the best way that we can build it that's going to contribute to the architecture of the site? Um, and we found that that really changes the way that we build things, because now we're going like, okay, we're building like we had this this hero box. It's really just it's four boxes, in in the bands and really all it was is four boxes. So it's like, how complicated could that be? Well, (laughs) I know. Well, what are those four boxes Is a layout? Are they components? Is it individual pieces (laughs) Is multiple pieces? How can we, how can we reuse these? Because right now it's just a box with the word in it. Right. But do we, can we reuse this pattern for something else that maybe has an icon in it and more text in it? Can we do four? Can we do six? Can we change like the number of them? Um, You know, can we do an interesting layout, some mobile views can, um, you know, how can we build something that not only is going to solve this one problem, but it's Mm -hmm. going to solve four or five or six other problems down, down the road and building something flexible enough that we've now we've contributed to the ecosystem of our site rather than, oh, here's just one more piece of code being shoved in. So, um, having those code approaches, making sure that all the code that you're writing is, is contributing to that architecture, um, and having some kind of. Yeah. Having some kind of standards that you can, you can gauge those merge requests on of like, right. you know, we can do better than that. Like we're, we're aiming for that. This mm-hmm. is aiming for that.
0: And you can see my arms. Um, yes. <laughs> and,
1: and we, and we know they're not, yeah. we know they're not aligned for those uh, people.
0: Who listen to the audio version yeah. Micah is flailing around <laughs>
1: <laughs> rapidly. Yes. So, you know, and without that architecture, yeah. you would just keep building stuff. You, you right. would never have anything to go back to. You never have anything documented of like, this is our approach.
0: Right. Um, so, so, and so, when you have large teams, you need it. Yeah, so basically, it's just like it's not just the fact that you're 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 going to have JavaScript. It's like, are we going to like just for a basic example, it's like you're, you're going to have JavaScript, but you know, you, do you want to include the jQuery library or do you just want to do vanilla JavaScript? You know, those are just some of the basic questions you would have have yeah. asked before you start, right? Yeah,
1: but also like, what kind of libraries are we going to use? Are we yeah. using lots of third-party libraries? Are we throwing Bootstrap at it? Cause yeah. I would really like to be able to have that discussion whether yeah. or not we're going through a bootstrap at yeah. it cause it's right. not a trivial thing to do. Right. Um, and, um, you know, how, how reusable is our JavaScript? How modular is our JavaScript? Are we, are we using any of the new cool packaging things that are right. coming out? Like there's, there's tons of things that you can do. Um, you know, and part of it is looking at the, the requirements of the project. Like right. you might get to the beginning of the project and go like, you know, this is going to be horrible jQuery, like seriously horrible so why don't we look at maybe angular maybe look at react like can these other like things solve our problems um and that's it's great discussions to have at the beginning of the project it's really horrible discussion to have at the beginning (laughs) of a sprint when you have a when you have a a feature due in two weeks right Uh, and i I had that happen with with uh, um with a project i was on for three weeks i basically spent two weeks of it trying to do it in jquery and it was just it was horrible cause I had to like manage all these different states on the, on the page and click on one things and five things change and those kind of things. And it was only going to get bigger from there. Um, yeah. and then I was like, you know, can we get, can we get angular in here? I've, I've worked with angular before. I know it can do this well. And They're like, yeah, okay. Okay. I think we can do that. Let's, let's go ahead and pull that library in. Yeah. Within three days, I'd recreated like the entire thing I'd, I'd been trying to do over the last two weeks because wow. the tools angular brought were perfectly suited for what we we're trying to do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and that's architecture, the, the code that gets written, that's just a developer doing what they do and doing it well, but, right. but making sure that developer has the tools to, to do it is really what's important. Um, one right. of the big tenants you'll see at the top of none of the tenants, or maybe the, our, our motto, I think is a good way to put it, um, is that front end architecture it, the code. We still write lots of code as a front end architect. We're writing code all the time. Lots of JavaScript, especially with, with, um, task runners these days but the code that we write isn't production code it's not code that the user ever sees the code rewrite our audience is the developers mm-hmm. so as we write code as we write documentation as we build and plan and and create things our audience is the developer because we want to make sure the developer can build quickly can build with proper testing involved can document easily and properly uh and they can get out the door uh you know with with little fuss and, and little trouble, so wow. um, everything an architect does is building something for a developer. So the developer yeah. doesn't have to like, oh, I'm going to use Ember, and oh, this other right. developer, oh, I'm going to use J-, you know jQuery and something else. I'm going to use Angular. Right. Uh, you know, the decisions made at the beginning, we've we've thought about all the all the the challenges and opportunities, and we decided on one, and we have a plan for moving forward with it.
0: Okay, so that's so one. I, that's <laughs> one. And, uh, <laughs> We only have an hour to go. So hopefully the three, right. yeah, <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, so the, the code is, is like how you build it. Everyone has their own philosophies on how to build a website, you know, and, and so you would definitely want to have like the discussion beforehand um, if you're you know, on, a, on a team basis or, you know. And then documentation, like that's always, you know, a big thing, you know, just having documentation uh, is always great. So in documentation, you have like three, three parts of documentation. One is onboarding docs, style guide and pattern library, which is a big, big deal. I mean, uh, uh, and then architecture diagrams that was, like you said, cold code flow and tool chain. So can you like, talk about those three things part of documentation? Sure. Yeah. Is this on the Git repo? I'm uh, totally forgetting most of these. <laughs>
1: um, <coughs> so, um, um, onboarding docs is, you know, pretty kind of self-explanatory, but yeah. any good architecture, you know, any, any well architected project, should be git clone, npm install, grunt or gulp or whatever it is. Um, if you've got a project that's like way more complicated than that, your onboarding process gets
0: really difficult. So right. So, so, so basically, you're you're saying like uh, you should set up your project, just like your on, the onboarding is just like hey, uh, just download it, and then just run node and just like just run gulp and you you should be yep. good to go. You you have the project ready to roll.
1: Yeah. And I'm like, we've got, we've got built in, um, like we have dependencies. Like if you go to the, if you go to the readme file for our, <coughs> for our, for the project we're building, here's the dependencies, you know, we use bundler. So go install bundler. We, we need node, go install node. Uh, we need Bower, go install Bower. So here's the dependencies. Once you're done, get clone, run one commands and sure, it doesn't work hundred percent of the time, but 95% of the time it works all the time. So it's, it's, <laughs> Okay, thank you, thank you. Okay, good. Um, <laughs> um, and, and the great thing is when you start, if you need to make changes or add something or add more functionality, it's right in your build process and you don't have to train people. Like, um, for instance, um, we, um, we basically, we're, we're, we're creating a pattern library that we distribute for Bower to our actual CMS. So we're not even committing styles directly into our, our CMS, which is great. Because it means we don't have to worry about their, you know, they've got a you know huge um, uh, testing process before any code can get introduced. And we're like, well, we're just changing CSS. Why do you need to test like, you know, every single behavior test under the sun? And well, it's, well that's what they do. That, that makes sense. But um, so because of that, if I remember where we're going with this, because of that, yes, um, we push out releases. So we you know, push out, you know, 0.3, and then we do a pre release of it. We push out a new pre release, and okay, now we're at 0.3.0. And now we need to push out a bug fix 0.3.1 and so on and so forth so that's how we push things out via bower it, it's it's able to seamlessly pulled in and then they then they can test the new release and those kind of things and everything works great mm-hmm. um but to create a release isn't non isn't trivial like it, it's it's a process like it, it's we're because for one we're not committing our assets And the assets are really what go out and drive the site so all the css and the compiled um, fonts and um uh, images and, and all that kind of stuff. We're not committing all of those compiled assets to code, so you can't just create a tag and just go grab it. So we have this process of like um, creating a temp branch, um, compiling, committing, tagging, moving back, deleting the old branch, pushing the tag, blah blah blah. So it's it's a process. It works for now, but it's a process. Um. So what we've what we've done is we've gone in and said well we we can we can automate this. Yeah. We've got the tools. So. <laughs> Um, creating a git process where you basically type in a git command and it does that entire process for you mm-hmm. so yeah this is an onboarding doc so I know I'm jumping the shark on that but um, <laughs> it, it's making sure that you've built stuff that now we have on our onboarding docs here are the like four commands that you run right. to bump the versions cool. and and that's huge rather than here's this five page doc that you have to go through and run all these commands and if you screw up well you just totally hose the live site so right. make sure you don't screw up. <laughs> So um, having onboard documentation means that that you can bring a new developer in. They can start working day one, day two, rather than like week five or six, which I know many projects, that's how long it takes for someone to get up and running, whether it's getting their system up and going, whether it's just learning like the ropes of of what you're actually building. Um, So onboarding docs,
0: obviously huge. Cool. And then style guide, Pattern library, is this, you know, is that like, it's like, you know, there's a podcast now with that Brad, Brad Frost is doing mm-hmm. and it. And it's yeah. And so is that the sort of thing where you just, you I know, told you it's hot right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it's, it's, well, it's, why is it hot right now? Like what, what, what makes it
1: hot? Well, as soon as he got, as soon as Brad Frost comes out doing like a full dedicated podcast to it,
0: <laughs> it's usually
1: pretty hot. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, it's also, I think just everyone's moving towards needing that and wanting it. Um, the, 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 short story is that, um, I've been working with Red Hat, um, is, is the client we're doing all this work with. Um, and we've, we basically just built their site. Like we had to do it real quick. The site's done. And they come back to me and go like, Hey, could we like create a pattern library? And I'm like, you mean of all the stuff that we just like spaghetti <laughs> put together? Uh, no, <laughs> that's kind of the thing you do before you build the website. Yeah. Um. But like a lot of a lot of companies are coming to this realization that there's huge value in this, and, right. and for us now that we're we're basically building this new repo of of patterns that we're going to be then or we are um, incorporating into the old site, um, is, is we need to have a we need to have a style guide we need to have a pattern library, and for a couple of reasons, for one we work in Drupal, um, I can't tell you the hours lost working on <laughs> hours lost working on um, on the event detail page because the event detail page has a lot of content on it like dozens 40 50 different fields or something like that and you know we had to go in and style all of those fields problem was like every time our site builds we get a fresh database in there and there's no event in there that actually has every single field so basically anytime we we need to build something we're logging in we're going through admin interfaces, building content just so we can style a button or something like that. Right, and, and that was our day in and day out. So having a pattern library gives us a huge number of advantages. For one, download, repo, NPM install, grunt. Hey, we've got a style guide up and running with, your, with all of your content um, that you can go in and start working on like seconds later. You don't have to spin up MAMP. You don't have to get the database pulled down. You don't have to worry about right. like pulling in from sandboxes and just everything we had to do for that. Um, you have this local copy that you can just start editing on. Um, right. and they're also static files, so we can push it up to a server and we can, point it to a backend dev and say, Hey, take a look at this. What do you think yeah. it's like the whole thing's built and prototyped and, and whatever we want to do with it. And they can take a look at it and poke at it. We can send this over to decision makers. We can actually do this to the, the business analysts and, and people are actually like developing these features and signing off on these features of like, Hey, this is what we're prototyping. This is what we're building in this style guide. What do you think? Yeah. And Get feedback there before it even gets to the CMS. Um, and then once it's done it's it's locked and loaded it's it's right. in that style guide for reference in the future of like hey I want to do this one thing hey well let's go back to the style guide let's see have we built something like this have we yes. already built it um, can we use stuff that we've already built and and create this new thing we're doing um, hey I need to see the list of all the icon fonts that we have where in the world do I find those mm. um, so these style guides and pattern libraries they' they they they're a common um, I'm trying to think what we what we call it, like it's a common development environment where everyone can get in there. The, the barrier of entry is super low because we can throw it up on a server and people can use it. Right. The barrier to edit it is crazy low because it's it's a grunt task. Um, and, and so we now have one common environment where people can can see the components, can see the layouts, can can see everything about our system and, and be able to poke holes in it and ask questions about it and and reference those elements with actual URLs. Um, which is something we didn't have ever. I mean, show me an example of, uh, you know, a, uh, uh, an event content type. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know where I can find one. <laughs> but in the style guide, you've got those right there. It's searchable, it's viewable, and, and you can get to those anytime you want. Um, mm-hmm. The other big advantage of a style guide, and, and we'll get to that with testing, is that it gives you an amazing platform to test against. Right. Uh, because you have static content that never changes that mm-hmm. is a perfect representation of what you're building in your website. Mm-hmm. And it's a great place to start start testing. Right. Um, so, but to, to finish up the last one before we get there, the whole concept of architectural diagrams, code flow, tool chains is, um, you know, I, I'm not a big fan of magic boxes. So the last thing I want to do is create a magic box. Right. <laughs> so what we want to make sure that we have is documentation that explains like, you know, if I get hit by a bus tomorrow yeah. and, and grunt stops working, like, someone's got to be able to come in there and figure out what's happening. So whether it's like inline documentation, your grunt file or, or writing out your processes for um, this kind of like code flow. So like, how does, how's code get, you know, into our repos? How do we do the, um, uh, how do we deploy new code, new versions of those types of things that, you know, if that's locked in one person's brain, you're, you're in a lot of trouble because that's the only person that can do it. Um, you know, if they're gone for a week, you're just, you're out yeah. of luck and those a burning are, man, whatever, you know, what have you yes. <laughs> <laughs> not growing a beard on sabbatical, you know, <laughs> um, so, um, it's really just have everything documented so that you could like, you could disband the entire development team, bring mm-hmm. in an entirely new development team and they could pick up and, and start and start working on the project is really what you're trying to do. Um, and the thing is, documentation does take time, and, and yeah. that's that's part of the architectural point of it. Is like, sure, there's people that are gonna be writing documentation, right. but but the fight for the architects is say this is valuable work. Right. Like, don't yeah. don't point these stories at two when I know I've got a ton of documentation. Like, let's point these at five because I know I'm gonna
0: be spending several hours making sure this is documented properly. Um, right. And, I mean, well, yeah. and also like, uh, I mean. The documentation is like very minor, like in terms of way, like because a, a pattern style guide library, if, if you just use a one that's already been built or modify one to your own devices, it's it's pretty easy. You don't have to like recreate too much of a wheel. And then with onboarding docs, you do have to do some things, but even then, that's like three or four command keys. I, I think the most complex thing would be to like really find a way if you're like a, a vendor hiring uh, agency or something like. Uh, find that uh, architecture diagram to be, to be the main part of it. So there's okay. a really loud ping, whatever that was. Yeah. I'm not sure what the ping I don't is. Know.
1: Oh, yeah. that, <laughs> I do That know might that be is. <laughs> Okay. Um, huh. That
2: might be Slack. Um, for me, I think like documentation is now completely changed my process in general. Cause like you're thinking about it from the start, you know, it's going to be a part of the stage. So as you're going through those early talks or those early meetings, it's something that you're already planning for. Mm-hmm. So if it's not an afterthought, it's pretty easy to bring in and kind of just keep adding a little bit more to it. And then like, I think back to, as if this has stopped, it hasn't really stopped, but like in branding and marketing stuff, there's a lot of like the printed brand standard guides. And then it's like, you're not sure if it's the latest version and here you have something that's live and changeable. And like you said, like everyone can get to this and it's a great thing that you can test on. It's just feel very nice and calm when you have all that together and you get to look at these elements separately. And as a system, right. I think that also shows a client, that you know, there is a lot in those details right. and uh, it's very valuable. Like you said,
0: yeah, right. Well I, 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 you know, the reason I bring that up is this, cause it's like, I mean, it's like documentation is like, it's like, it's almost like content. Like no one wants to write content, but they always want it. Right. So they want it done <laughs> and they want to move on. And so yeah, I always hear about programmers not wanting to do documentation and some of that, and I think with agile programming, it's like they favor quick releases over writing extensive documentation. If I, if I have that right, so I just no, feel that like, sounds about right. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So it's like, like, oh, we're all agile because we don't want to write documentation. Is how I feel. Well, uh, and cool even if true.
1: developers are willing to, it's also it's a time thing. I mean, Red Hat yeah. is. It, I I can sing praises for Red Hat all day long, which is why they love me going on talking about them. Um, that they give us that freedom and that time, like they they let us point like four boxes on a page as a five or an eight or something and, and trust us that like, we know it's going to take some time to to document this properly and, and build out all the features we want to do with it. And they give us that time to actually do it. Like it's a task in a story. Is the documentation done? Yes, no. If it's not done, keep working at it. Like it's the story's not done until the documentation is done. Um, and, and kind of as Chris said too, that the other nice thing about documentation is there's, Lots of good tools out there. Whether you're doing like straight up Pattern Lab for for really just like documenting all of your components, or if um, uh, Hologram is what we're using, uh, which is a great gem for pulling inline documentation and making a style guide out of it, um, there's tons. And and basically, every, uh, the joke is basically um, after you use two or three, you end up rolling your own anyway. Um, so there's new ones popping up left and right, and there's just some amazing tools out there. And it really comes down to um, it comes down to a content strategy problem, which is kind of funny. We come back to content strategy of um, like, you know, we're now at a point where the tools are so simple. We just have to write it. We just have to figure out how am I going to express what I need to explain in a way that someone can ingest and understand? And, and how do I organize this so people can find it? Because documentation is going to grow. Um, we found ourselves at a funny point where you know, we're trying to build this nice documentation. We're trying to do it aesthetically pleasing. So if you go to a page, you know, it's easy to kind of parse like, you know, component, 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 and then see down the page. Um, and so we started applying some design, do some like custom theming to the style guide. And we got to this really funny meta point where we're like, you know, we really need to have like a style guide like a pattern library for the patterns for our pattern library. (laughs) (laughs) We we need to prototype what our, our style guide is going to look like. and like, where, where do we do that? So it was just, it was funny. Um, you know, if you could bring a designer and, and a content strategist into that part of the process,
0: that's
1: huge because, um, documentation is really writing a short book, a a, a short book about how does this system work from top to bottom? Um, a, a friend of mine told a funny story of, of a project he's on, and they're like, you know, we don't have time for documentation. Just write the code. Just get it done. <laughs> like, you know, everything's on fire. Finish this. Um, and then, you know, weeks, months later, they're like, how does this, how does that work? Uh, I don't yeah. understand that. Where's the documentation? <laughs> and they like, well, okay, can we just record both of these moments and play them back next, back to back? Um, documentation is extremely important. Uh, right. Um, you know, and you find some people are much better at it and love it. Um, my, my coworker at red hat, she, she really enjoys doing the documentation side of it. And so I, am more than happy to like, you know, let her go to town on that, like do huge typography pages and stuff like that. And awesome. Um, and you'll find people that, that gravitate to different areas like that. So, um, documentation, 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 you'll thank yourself later. Uh, when you have all that done.
0: I mean, like, uh, we had a client, I was working for agency. And uh, we had just like we had uh, gone the distance. We we got to the finish line. It was like 99% done for the website, and we're like, okay, it's loading. It's it's done. We can walk away from this project. And she came back. Uh, our 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 contact was like, great. I need a manual. Yep. <laughs> I was just like, what 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 do you mean? It's like, and uh, all of a sudden she got into her head that uh, she needed a manual, and like there was like no manual written in the contract whatsoever. There's like. Uh, and I was like, well, I never buy anything without a manual. And I'm like, my VCR has a manual. My website should have a manual. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, of course. I was like, why not? You know, like, and so we had to, like, give us a moment. <laughs> just, like, let us go figure out how to write this manual. I was like, can like, we walk, go around the office? Like, Katie, hey, have you written a manual? I don't know. Like, I don't know. But uh, yeah, this is like, a long time ago. But, but yeah, it's just, you, just, yeah. you know. so, so part of the architecture is having those conversations
1: early. And if the client it wants to say, no, I'm not willing to pay for it, right. then you've had that conversation. And, yes. and, and you write down and a and piece of paper. paper and yes.
0: And you take a picture with them holding the piece of paper. They have it framed. And when they come back, just like, <laughs> hey, remember this guy? Uh, this guy <laughs> yeah, you just point at it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Awesome. Oh, All right. So the next pillar is um, – I'm really harping the pillar. Uh, oh, I love it! No pillars are awesome. <laughs> yeah, I just want to let you know that. So, uh, is testing, and I'm actually kind of you know, I've no, like, is testing, which is also people love testing, right? But, uh, um, yeah, some <laughs> people love testing. I actually,
1: <laughs> I, I had a moment the other day where I was writing some some pretty involved tests or something, and I was like, I feel like a wizard. The the stuff I'm doing with testing. With the simple amount of code and the things I'm accomplishing with this testing, I felt like a wizard. It was right. it was pretty amazing. I don't okay. know if well, I could we... it
0: all day long, but I enjoyed it. <laughs> so, um, like you were at you were at C's Dev Conf and you were one of the six uh, pencil winners. Uh, we actually yeah. we actually give the best of. Uh, there it is. There it is <laughs> right there. Let me see. Can you hold up again one more time. Oh right? nice. Yeah. So we, you the box. You, you spelled my last name wrong, but that's uh, okay. That's well, I could, I could, dude. We could probably fix that. We have the technology. To fix that, so, make it better, faster, and stronger. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So, uh, uh, um, Alicia was there, um, and she had her her talk of uh, unit testing, and it was kind of like an intro talk to unit testing mm-hmm. for the audience there. But she also won the uh, giant pencil award because it was one of the one of the favorite ones of the group. And so, I'm I I like to know more about unit testing because what I know about unit testing is that you write tests, write JavaScript to do X Y Z but then you break that down into your JavaScript doing like minor parts. And then you do testing on that. Is that essentially correct? Or am I just, yeah, well, there's, there's various times
1: types of testing. And, and okay. as I wrote, wrote down in here, um, I kind of pinpoint three of them being visual regression, um, unit testing and, to end testing, right. um, u- unit testing is, is very much, um, kind of like functional testing. Uh, actually, I don't even know if that's the right word, but it's it's basically making sure that your math continues to work. You know, right. I have this function and if I pass a value in this function, I expect to get this result from the function. Right. Um, it's it's very much when you're writing like JavaScript applications yeah. where you're expecting a function to do something, return values and those kind of things. Um, so, you know, in a lot of cases, you won't get too much unit testing because okay. For instance, if all you're doing is writing jQuery all day long, right? jQuery doesn't really return a value; it, it returns like an actual change to the DOM. Okay. Uh, so, I mean, personally, I like I really I want to learn more about unit testing. I was at that talk, and it was great. Yeah. You know, it really opened my eyes. Like, okay, she yeah, did a great I'd, job. Yeah. Hundred, because and she she broke it down so it was super simple, and I was like, that right. totally makes sense. Like, if I've got this this calculator that's supposed to add two numbers together, I can test it. I can p- pass two numbers into it. I can mm-hmm you know, look at the, the result and I can test and make sure that value is the same. Um, and it was neat to actually to be in that in that uh, session, because that whole concept of like passing two values in and get it in return um, it made a lot of sense, even with visual regression testing, which is where I'm spending a lot of time um, in that you you do something and you expect a common response is really what what testing is all about. Like every time I do this, I'm going to get the same kind of result. Okay. Um, and with visual regression testing, instead of adding two numbers together, adding two and seven together and getting nine, Mm -hmm. what you're doing is you're loading a page, taking a picture of something and then comparing the picture. Mm -hmm. But the point is that every single time you do that, it should be exactly the same because these are computers and computers are good at doing things exactly the same over and over again. So, so the concept behind visual regression testing (coughs) is that, um, uh, it, they typically use something like Phantom JS or Casper, or no, sorry, Casper or um, um, shoot, I forgot what. There's a Gecko version of it. Um, someone will correct me at some point. Um, so Phantom JS, um, Slimer JS, I think might be it. They've like all these ghost names. Um, that's why I get all confused. Um, but it's it's a headless browser. It's a WebKit browser that JavaScript can spin up, do stuff in, and and then stop. And it's it's so much, it's faster because you're not dealing with all the rest of the Chrome of the browser right. and all that. It can, you know, it can run on a server that doesn't that you don't need to have Chrome or something installed. Um and it's extremely consistent. It's like the same version of of Fam.js. So um what the test does is it spins up that headless browser, it navigates to a web page, which in our case is a style guide every time, goes to style guide, takes picture. And I can do that over and over and over again, you know, hundreds of times a day, and I will get the exact same picture every time I do that. So obviously you don't need to test 100 times a day. You typically just want to test whenever you introduce new code. But the idea is that's a repeatable test. Two plus seven always equals nine, no matter how many times you run it. If two plus seven equals 13, something's messed up with, (laughs) actually I said two plus seven equals 14. You probably probably got an operator switched in your function or something. So um, uh, it's the same thing, visual regression, is you can run that over and over again. And if something changes, you knew something changed. You knew that a value changed, that a CSS property changed, that that some JavaScript that you run jQuery is not working right because a is not showing, or you're clicking a button and something's not resetting or whatever the case is. So uh, with visual regression testing, um, depending on the tool that you use, you're either testing full pages, um, or my preference is typically testing just single individual components. Mm. And so you go through your entire style guide and you take snapshots of every single component and you test and you compare those to a baseline image. And as long as they compare as long as they match that baseline image, everything's good. Mm. And hopefully you're building in a way that the person's work over here only affects what they're working on. Right. And the tests basically say, Hey, before we merge that guy's code in, let's run all the tests for all the components and make sure nothing changed, because nothing should change except for the component the person's working on. Mm. Um, and when you have failures, you're like, hey. You broke something. You changed changed a variable you shouldn't have changed. Or our system, we thought it would work this way if if you did this, but it didn't. It worked it worked a different way and it broke. So visual regression testing allows us to start building components and components we built three months ago that we've created baselines for that clients have signed off on. We know that we have a test that we can run every single time code is introduced in the system to make sure nothing's changed. Because I can tell you without said testing, things will change. Right. I, I, more stories of like, uh, I've, got a, I've, I've, I've got a story to build XYZ page. Okay, build it. It's done. They like it. Move on. Next yeah. sprint. Do my work. Sprint after that. Hey, I already finished this. Why am I doing the same page again? There, because yes. something changed. Because right. someone changed the style. Someone overread something. Somebody changed something that they thought was scoped and wasn't. Someone right. JavaScript, um, you know, we're just we're pulling in all this code from all these different uh, different developers. And and if there's no way for us to verify that that one component that we built, our first component of our entire system, yeah. if we can't like ensure that that thing's never going to change, yeah. then we don't have a system. We just we're just chasing tails day in and day out. Chasing right. our tails, probably a better way to say it. <laughs> but yeah, OK, anyway. <laughs> Yeah. So, <laughs> so that's visual regression testing is, is allow you to, to find visual regressions in your site. Um, well you can also use it for, uh, for, for your live site. Um, say you have a homepage that's static and never changes, you know, it's, it's a marketing page. Um, and it makes a lot of sense. Just every day you've got some job that runs and compares the, the, the homepage with the new image and you know, bells fly off if something changed. Uh, which can happen, like someone deploys some, you know, server-side code, something or other, and now your JavaScript doesn't load, your CSS stops loading. Like those kind of tests, you can run those every ten minutes. You know, that's that's what automation is for. So um, there's a lot of places you can use visual regression, basically sanity checks for large systems. That you know, in this mobile thing, when I click on this and hover over that, does the does the button do what you're expecting it to? Uh, which might be it's something that you never actually ever get to normally. We yeah. want to test it so it doesn't stay broken for right. for five weeks before someone actually sees it. Yeah, exactly. Like, you're like oh, that was broken for five weeks and no one yeah. bought <laughs> anything. That's thing. funny. That's like,
0: oh, I wonder how many users bailed out of our shopping. <laughs> <place>. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's it's amazing. Like um no, I just um, just seeing uh, you know, I work at uh, uh, well it's it, what you know, in our industry, you know, you get to see uh, lots of companies and see how they build. And so it's amazing how uh, when they walk through a process, a UX process, they they just print out every workflow of, like, every stop along the way just to see how a user goes from point A to point Z. And just mm-hmm. and so – and there's, like – and, you know, I, I look at that and I don't see – you know, I see what they printed out, but I see, like, a lot of teamwork has, has been spent, a lot of man hours been spent, on agreeing that this was happening and then agreeing what should happen next. And then, you know, just to be able to just attest, you know, things, make sure things don't break in the middle of, uh, of these print or, you know, code changes is it's, it's- Well, that's also, the, that's
1: a third one, the end-to-end testing is that, yeah. um, is get more behavioral testing. I think sometimes it's called of like, can I launch the site, click log in, put my credentials in, go check an item out, go to the shopping cart, hit blah, 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 put in my credit card and check out, like those are, those are other tests you're able to run. Sometimes that's a little bit more of like backend. Like I know our backend, it's more of kind of a backend dev process thing. Um, but those are important tests to do as well, to make sure that those, those, the, um, those paths of income, paths of revenue for your site, um, actually work, you know, can people sign up for your newsletter? Like, does that work? Um, you know, if that's broken and it's been broken for weeks, you might have lost thousands of, of subscribers. So um, testing all over the place, whether it's visual, whether it's unit testing or end-to-end and behavioral testing, um, are, are really important things to talk about at the beginning of a project. Because uh, for us, we build tests as we build components. So it's like, I build my component, I write my documentation, I write my tests. Now I can get this back for review, for merge requests, and all those kind of things.
0: Awesome. Yeah. Pretty sweet. Okay, and then um, a fourth pillar. Sure. Process. We're there. Right. I'm with the fourth, yeah. With the fourth final p- pillar. Let's <laughs> uh, pat ourselves in the back. All right. Awesome.
2: I was hoping uh, we just wave our hands up in the air.
0: Just do <laughs>
2: that.
0: Like All right. <laughs> uh, this one changed a little bit. This
1: one used to just be automation. Yeah. Uh, and um, uh, and my my joke at CSS DevConf is uh, with great tools comes great automation kind of thing. Um, <laughs> And it's very true. This is process is, is very much focused around automation, but there's there's lots more pieces than just the grunt, um, a grunt or a gulp or whatever it is. And right. it, it's really it's creating that like can I sit down in front of a computer? Well, it, it's not as much like the onboarding process. We kind of already talked about that, but I sit down on my computer and I write a line of code. How easy and efficient is it to get that line of code live? Right. And in some cases, that's really, really difficult right. and, or convoluted or, 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 or just complex or confusing.
0: Or is it sometimes like, oh. on purpose? Is it
1: complex? <laughs> well, uh, um, no, just like, or maybe it's poorly documented or like the process isn't like really like discussed. Like, oh, well, I just push up to master. Oh, no, I push, like, I create a feature branch and I push here and oh, I do this or I do that. Um, you know, if there's not a standard of like, we're doing Git flow. So whenever you have anything you want to do, you create a feature branch. You push the feature branch up. You create a merge request. Like that is, in a lot of cases, um, a lot of us take that for granted. But not everyone does that. Like there, that's not a set in stone process. And a lot of people also have like slight modifications of that. Like, do you push to master? Do you push to a dev branch? Do you do you have multiple dev branches going because you have multiple you know versions of the software running? So right. those kind of decisions that that need to be made for that. Um, of how, how do I even get code into the repo in an efficient manner? Right. And then once it's in the repo, how does that code actually get out to testing servers? How does that code get out to staging servers? How does that get through automation? How does that get through testing? How does that actually get to production? Um, mm-hmm. It's the entire process of getting my, I change the color of something to how does that color change actually get to a live website? Yeah. And it could be super simple. It could be I hit save and I FTP. or it could be a lot more complex and, you know, you go through Git flow and you go through testing and you get through a stage and prod server. And then there's, you know, all that kind of stuff going on. Right.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So like, and and we talked, we talked a little bit about some of the things like, we talked about uh, node and Bower, and, you know, build systems and, uh, and, you know, build systems a little bit, but you know, how many, how many plugins I guess you want for, for Grunt and Gulp, what you need for that, you know, for SVG, for icons, and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, Uglify, and, all, and JavaScript, so that deploy process, you know, depends on what you want to do. And uh, Continuous integration, what, can you explain more about what continuous integration? Sure, is? I know actually,
1: I'm glad that you asked this today and not a couple days ago, because I had, <laughs> I, had an, I had an inkling of what it did, but then someone brought it up, and I was like, you know, I guess I don't know the exact definition. Um, the concept of continuous integration is that developers are constantly bringing their code back into um, back in the development or back into is constantly pulling code back into master um, So instead of features being done in these huge silos right. the code's constantly being pulled back in, constantly tested and basically the application um, the application is constantly being tested as new code is introduced to it. Okay. so so you're not having like you know here's code here's our application. All right now we're, we're going way over here with this other code and we're building 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 building. Mm-hmm. All right, we've done everything we need. Or like right. to merge this thing back in, and I'm doing this big like triangle thing. Um,
0: and <laughs> well, listening oh, wow. at home, Mike's yeah. like doing a big circle with his hands.
1: <laughs> a triangle, a triangle, this triangle top, this over. Thing. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then oh my gosh, it broke. It doesn't work. I wonder why. So instead of instead of pulling all this code in and and hoping things work, and now we have to debug like you know five six Months of of work. Right. Continuous integration is just is continually bringing like every feature in, like bring the feature in and test, bring the feature right. in and test, and and you know continuously integrating code into it rather than having these big huge releases. Right. Um, so um, yeah, and a lot of that's done with some of the some of the tools out there like Travis uh, CI and Jenkins and Travis CI CI is continuous integration, it's mm-hmm. an obvious one, um, which are tools that allow you basically on to to automate a lot of these tasks so that. The, the, the gold standard, which we're still kind of working towards, but is to, when I push up a merge request, mm-hmm. Jenkins should check that code out, yeah. it should compile the code, it should mm-hmm. run all of the tests, it should report back pass or fail on all of those tests. And until we get a passing grade from Jenkins, that code should never be able to be merged back into master. And, and those are the continued, continuous integration tools and process that allows you to constantly be testing your code um, as you as you're pulling it back into uh, a, your project Wow that's pretty awesome yeah it's it's very awesome when we can get it going yeah
2: <laughs> for me that one goes back uh, to what you were saying earlier about this being an ecosystem and kind mm-hmm. of maintaining and respecting that ecosystem and um, making sure that that ecosystem doesn't like I don't know I'm trying to find a good metaphor for this like there isn't some foreign parasite that like gets yeah, into this ecosystem. Yeah.
1: yeah. There, there's, so, there's so much code rot. This is one of the things that, that Ben ta- Ben friend talks about a lot is that, um, sure, he writes a little bit more v- verbosely, if that's a word. He writes a little bit more code for every feature he writes. But because of the way he compartmentalizes things, he can go back to old code he's not using anymore and just go delete <laughs> without any fear whatsoever of breaking something. Right. Um, and we don't have there's those tools in place. Most of the time we, we would rather, well, the site's not broken now. Let's not take that code out because it might break something. What it breaks. I don't know. I don't have a way <laughs> to test it. It's, it's just, it's 5,000 lines of CSS. I don't know if it's, uh, I've, I've been in projects that had like legacy code from like three, three redesigns ago and it's mm-hmm. still in the repo. It's still being applied to the pages. Like, there's probably, st- there's probably styles in there that actually affect our current page. I don't know which ones. Like I don't know what's gonna break when I delete that and I don't have any way to test it. So yeah, you know to create something where you have that kind of um, um, accountability of code where I know when I bring code in, I can test to see if it broke something. I can make a sweeping change. Like there's a couple of like large architectural kind of code changes I want to make and I can go in there and make the change and see if everything still passes. Right. Like made these big, huge margin changes kind of change the way the margins work. And I can make sure I didn't break anything. Right. And and most places you don't have the ability to do that. So you just don't do it Mm. or you do it and you're, you're dealing with it for weeks and they'll mad at you and then you just basically revert anyway and you just waste a lot of time. So, um, yeah, it's a properly architected project is, is a really powerful place to be because you're, you're building, you're, you're building something that gets better and better over time. Right. I speak to any front end developer. The longer you work on a project, the worse it gets. And yep. it really, you're just, at some point, I get to bail from this and I get to start on a new project. Right. That, that's every single front end project you're ever on. Right. It just gets more bloated and more bloated. And this is more technical debt and more out of hand. And I can't wait to start fresh. Right. If we can reverse that, if we can say, hey, every time we introduce new code, this is getting better and better and better and better. Because right. we're, we're hoping to get to a point where we've built all the layouts we need. We've built all the components we need. And really, every single request that comes to us is basically, well, you need to take these three components, you put it in that layout, and you've got your new feature. Right. All right, OK. We want that. We just take those four components, put in this layout, put that layout in that layout, you've got your new feature. Mm-hmm. Not a single line of code need to be written to create all those new things. Right. And, and, and every single step we take, we're getting closer to that. And, and that's, that is our architecture. That's what we're shooting for.
0: Cool. Awesome. Sweet. I think, yeah, I think it's, you know, we're automating the stuff we, that, that uh, we don't like, right? We just, that brings in human error uh, and do a lot of testing. And, and I think it's pretty awesome. I think it's uh, solving a lot of problems. So uh, I got two places to go. One is uh, bringing this into the front of a project like like you would content strategy and, um, you know, uh, how is when you do that now, is, is, that, uh, is there any like blowbacks from clients? I mean, there's a client education involved. There's is, a huge uh, client education.
1: And that's yeah. for sure. and that one of the challenges that we're running into now is that this is still so new. Um, like for instance, I, I've, I've been working with Red Hat for like last year, and this is all I've been working on. Right. So, so th- the pace that we move with these things is I haven't had a chance to start a new project. Really like fully with with all these with all these ideals, Mm -hmm. Um, and so we don't have examples. We don't have like, well, this sounds really great, but show show me how this is going to work. Right. We don't have these examples. In a lot of cases, you know, we work with clients where we just we just we just can't show their code. Like, no, it's it's behind their lock and key, and they don't want us to show it to us, show it to anyone else, which which totally makes sense. So it's it's trying to figure out like. We need to sit down and write this out. We need to come up with some kind of like, hey, go here, read this. Um, we're 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 kind of talking about it right now um, within phase two of like, what can we build that will be a good sales tool that's yeah. going to be a good onboarding tool that's going to explain these processes and explain the value yeah. these processes are going to bring because that's the main thing. Like people just they don't see it. They, right. they think they're throwing they're, they're throwing money at something they don't understand and it's going right. to be a waste. And um, until you can convince them otherwise and get a couple of people to, to do that, right. uh, that's when it becomes powerful. Um, it's, it's been great at Red Hat because they're really open about the process of what we're doing. Uh, we're actually putting a, a submission together uh, to try and do a talk on this, to like a joint talk. So we really want to get out and talk about um, the, the things we're accomplishing, the way we're accomplishing them. So that hopefully when we get to new projects, they're like, oh, I heard that one talk. That sounds amazing. Right. I want it. Um, right. And, and there's a few killer apps um, when it comes to this, um, and I think testing, visual regression is one of them, yeah. where that's an easy one to sell.
0: Yeah, like, yes. that's like awesome.
1: Automation, documentation, mm-hmm. and, and code is kind of tough to sell because that's that's, that's a long game,
0: especially that's with a, code. Like It's also a can, objective, too, I feel like. that's you're, 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 You have to get programmers in, in a room and agree. Yes. Uh, and so. and, well, and also there's, there's no case
1: studies showing like, well, if I would have built the site this way, I get this result. And if I built a site this way, I would have get this result. It's, uh-huh. it's still subjective. It's, it's our experiences mm-hmm. and, and what we've seen from project to project. Uh, but testing, oh, you can show that. Yeah. yeah I, 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 just, I did a, um, a demonstration of it at PDX Sask a couple weeks ago and yeah, it was like a lot of jaw dropping of like, yeah. wow, let's, pretty awesome because you can see here's the old image. Here's a new image. You can see they're different and you can see what's different and you can test that over and over and over again. And you can know with confidence that you're building something that's not constantly being broken by newly introduced code. Cool. So yeah, that's it. It's, it's a lot of client education. Um, which is why I, I talk about this, why I podcast about it, why I write about it, why I, I I really eat and breathe it at the moment because that's, that's how this is going to get out. Nice. Uh, that's why I want other people to pick up this banner as well. Um, yeah. Because these are important things to discuss and decide on at the beginning of the projects. And they're just, it's not happening right now. Um, right. They, they, there's very few people that are doing this, um, especially doing it in a,
0: a regular process. Cool. All right. And so that that explains, uh, you know, like we're talk about like, you know, and I, f- I feel like there, there would be some investment up front to, to talk with it. I mean, you still, you know, i do not know, sure, like, you know, content strategy, you could still like, that Band-Aid has to be ripped off. You know, you're going to have to get content somehow. You might as well yes. just rip it off in the beginning. I think you know you can't go around that. Um, my um, my other point I want to, my mother concern is like where do you go now? Like you talked about uh, putting a talk together uh, with with Red Hat. Um, any other things in the future you're looking at? Are you looking at you know you have like uh, other people taking up the banner as well like you like you have so far.
1: Yes. I mean, Elise coming on and, and helping out with this podcast, she is definitely taking it up. Um, uh, I know I've, I've submitted some talks, uh, for this upcoming year, hopefully to get out there and talk about it as well. Um, I'm also trying to spend a lot of time talking specifically about a pillar, like going out and talking about testing, uh, and you know, talking about code and those types of things. So, um, and and always coming back to this is part of architecture, this is part of decisions that you need to make at the beginning of it. So, um, Looking for every opportunity that I can. I mean, again, someone contacted me about doing a, a, um, uh, doing a conference on it. I'm like, yes, that's yeah. exactly it. I mean, that's, <laughs> there's content strategy conferences now. So, okay. um, mm-hmm. there, you know, there's enough topics in here. There's, there's enough, I think enough people out there that, um, you know, I have no idea how it will do. I, I don't know how it's going to go, but it yeah. might not be this year or next year, but eventually, you know, I, I really think this is going to be a thing that's not going anywhere. Um, because we're all gravitating towards coming up with better code standards, coming up with better documentation with better testing and better processes. Like right. we're as we as we continue to work and struggle, all of us in the industry are coming towards these four things and and trying to find a way to do
0: those four things better. Right. Better and like uh less less uh painful. Yes, hopefully less painful. <laughs> uh, yeah. So yeah, that's that's awesome. I think uh definitely uh you know, I think it's a great, you know, a great goal. I think, uh, you know, really want to learn more about it. Uh, I was not able to see your talk at TS.com cause I was running around with my head, head, uh, uh, like a chicken, just trying to get everything done. But, uh, so I was producing the event, but, uh, but yeah, I was so often, awesome to have you here to t- talk more about it. Uh, uh, Sam, do you have any questions at all? Or?
2: I think you've answered so many of them. I mean, for me, <laughs> I'm still nerding out over what we talked about with the documentation. Um, with something like, and maybe this, uh, you covered this earlier and I hadn't put it all together yet, because this is all blowing my mind. Uh, with like something like continuous integration and a lot of that part, where does that go in the documentation? Is that a part of the onboarding, from like start to finish, here's what you'll be going through, and oh. are you setting up like different scenarios, like when stuff breaks? do this.
1: Uh, That's more like the architectural diagrams of how the system works, um, how code flows from one place into the next, into the next, into the next, um, uh, you know, and and part of it, like, you know, for us, um, with what we're developing, we basically develop something that just gets ingested by the CMS. So a a lot of that process is out out of our hands and and Mm -hmm. someone else's. So you know, you you document the process, you document the parts that you're part of. you know, hopefully if you're able to to spread this this architecture across the entire site you're able to get documentation for everything but um you know document especially on the front end document how the front end works how the front end gets to, the um, code gets deployed out and um, you know oftentimes it's you just save it to the repo and that's how it works mm-hmm. um, but, but not always um if you're if you are like if you have code that's going out to several different sites if code gets compiled in a weird way where like you've got one code base that you push out to multiple sites and they all compile it with their own sets of variables. Like there, there's a lot of instances where people are doing very creative things with, uh, with their front end styles for like the deployment of those styles. So making sure those are documented, making sure people understand, um, how they can, um, uh, how they can troubleshoot those. Mm -hmm. Uh, or just how to work with them and how to push things out uh, is certainly really important. And, you know, important for the client too when they take over the project and and they need to figure out how to do it or they need to pass it on to the next person that comes in to do changes to to know
0: how to do it.
2: Awesome, that's really cool.
0: Cool. Well, uh, I think we've uh, uh, spent a lot of time talking about awesome (laughs) stuff. but uh, One question uh, we do ask, I mean, like, I, I, I'm afraid that the answer is going to be front end architecture, so I'm going to just <laughs> make sure that the answer that, that's, not, that's not a possible answer to my next question is uh, what um, in your workflow, uh, in web, what has uh, really grabbed your attention lately in terms of the industry or anything uh, that, that you really want to, you know, you really want are excited about in the future? And, and I know you've already
1: prefaced this and I was like, I should probably think of something really good. <laughs> um, I can tell you just like the last couple of days, at least, like what's currently on my mind is, um, I think one thing I want to dive more into is some of the continuous integration, continuous, continuous integration tools. There it is. Yeah. Um, <laughs> because I, I know like Jenkins, I, I believe it's like a Java app. I mean, it's it's some pretty hardcore stuff. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's relatively accessible for, for some of the basic things I want to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's an area I really want to get into cause I I'm, I'm, I'm a huge fan of, of workflows, yeah. um, and like really good workflows. And like I press one button and I just did like 15 minutes of work workflows. Um, and, uh, and, and some of these tools allow you to do those kind of things. Um, and um, I know that me diving into it, learning what they're capable of doing or just doing it myself in a lot of cases, um, that's that an area I could certainly spend way too much time. I was hoping to dive in today and then of course <laughs> real work got in the way and I wasn't able to I do
0: suppose.
1: it. <laughs> I know, <laughs> gosh. So um, yeah, I think diving into those tools and kind of taking that automation off of the local environment, and this is kind of the, the key with CI is that you take away some of the but like we have a we have a problem, and there it's I don't know if it's like a considered a bug in Bootstrap or whatever. Mm-hmm. But whenever we compile the code um, with SAS 3.4, 3. so newest version of SAS, it does something weird with um, something which in itself isn't bad, but when it's combined with, um, but when it's combined with a tool that we're using to put our CSS together, or something like that, it mm-hmm. breaks. No, whatever kidding. it ch- chokes on the character it breaks <clears throat> so um, basically if we if we push from the wrong machine that has the wrong version of SAS on it we break yeah. our website oh nice and that's not good so you know um and there's things we can do like we've got bundlers set up so that we can do like a bundle exec compass compile now and those kind of things mm-hmm. um, but moving this to something like jenkins where you have a single environment you have a single static uh, you know, um, Linux environment that, that is doing the comp- the compiling is doing the testing. Um, it takes all of that guesswork out of it. So yes, I'm devving on my local and my local might have its quirks, but when I compile and that gets pushed to the new tag release, when I run tests, um, when I do all the important stuff that has to work flawlessly every time, um, mm-hmm. something like Jenkins gives you that consistent environment to be able to do that in. Uh, We had some issues where one person, when they compiled icon fonts, they looked different. Like the the margins were different. We're like, oh my gosh, this is crazy. So being able to move all of that um, into Jenkins. So you're not like Windows person, Linux person, Mac person, who cares the version of whatever. We know that the final code is going to run through testing and is going to be compiled in a consistent environment. Um, That for me is like, I think that's my next frontier of of taking this to like a new level of, of solidity and, and, um, completeness. Cool. Yeah. So I, I think I'm excited about that.
0: I, I talked okay. about it in five minutes. She so was <laughs> a good sign. All right. Awesome. Cool. Well, I think that's a uh, good, good point to, to, wrap things up on, uh, Micah, if you could just uh, let people know how they could, uh, find you on the web. And, um,
1: uh, yeah. Um, so you can follow me on Twitter at Micah Godbolt. Um, I've got them down in my little avatar thing in the video. Um, definitely follow Sasbites as well. Um, mm-hmm. weekly content coming out of there. Um, you can catch, um, all the old shows at youtube.com slash mm-hmm. Um, and, um, if, if you, if you're looking for someone to speak, I'm still open for speaking engagements, especially remote ones, where you don't have to travel. <laughs> um, I love talking about this stuff. Um, so if, if that's something that interests you, um, I would love to get more involved with it. Um, my goal is to get away from from writing as much code and getting more into um, this this side of the architectural and consulting and and those kind of things. So um, any chance I have to do that, um, I am excited to to be part of it. So feel okay. free to reach
0: out and um, be happy to talk to you. Okay, cool. Well, and then Sam, how can people find you on the internet? <laughs>
2: um, Sam Cap on almost everything, pretty much.
0: Okay. <laughs> Cool, awesome. And then uh, I'm Christopher Schmidt, and you can find me at Telject on Twitter, and uh, we find us at nonbreakingspace.tv TV. And um, we're we if you're on you're subscribed to our podcast, uh, you can find us on uh, iTunes. There, we will actually be putting this fresh episode. At, it's been a year plus some change, so <laughs> if you subscribe to our feed, you should be. Uh, and still subscribe. We were really thankful. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, my final will ding. My phone will ding, Like, oh, you got a new podcast. <laughs> All right, All right, Cool. Uh, and with that, uh, you can also find us on YouTube. Uh, this is uh, – we're doing a new thing, uh, which is you know, people who have been watching us for the last two hours or so uh, watch us on YouTube. So we're actually – something I wanted to do was actually broadcast live for the longest time, um, and, and our producer Chris ends, and we just never really got in sync as to do it. And So I'm really glad that uh, – uh, you know, as we mentioned uh, earlier in the show, I just I finally got into a Google Hangout and I'm like, oh wait, we can do this. Okay, great. It's <laughs> much easier. So we'll be doing more and more shows uh, uh, on live uh, via YouTube and Google Hangouts, and then putting them into the uh, into the podcast, the audio version from now on. So uh, with that, I just want to say thanks uh, to Micah for being on the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's great good to have you and sam's thanks for being another great co-host
2: <laughs> thank you
0: all right cool and we'll be uh we'll be around soon great bye bye, bye everybody
2: bye.